This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. It's really cool to walk into a district and have kids say, oh, you're the salad chef. And that that is, you know, like, thank you. Yes, I am the salad chef. And here, have a tomato. The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. I am Lindsay Christians, Cap Times food editor. And I'm Chris Lay. Remember cafeterias? Remember school lunch? My favorite thing to do was put French fries and corn on a slice of that rectangular doughy pizza, fold it up into some weird starchy carb taco type monstrosity. I was always really into the chicken nuggets. And also walking tacos, which were my favorite, mainly because Fritos are amazing. And this is my hack. I like to get a bag of M&Ms and a bag of salted peanuts and then shake them together in one bag like DIY trail mix. Brilliant. (laughs) So kids are going back to school this week. Well, sort of. Some of them are going to school in buildings and some are learning fractions over Zoom. Regardless of where they are, though, all of them need lunch. This week, we've got Irene Polish from Food Services in the Madison Metropolitan School District. She spent the pandemic dressing up in funny costumes and getting food to kids who need it. Their whole department has had to shift how it works as schools figure out how many students are going to be in person and how many will be remote. I was camping up in Governor Dodge State Park, roasting hot dogs over a fire pit. So Lindsay took the lead on this interview. Make yourself a PB&J, crust either on or off, and give a listen. Irene, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for being here, uh, as as here as this is. <laughs> I was just hoping we could start out uh, with you telling folks a little bit about who you are and what you do. All right. So I am a career changer later in life. I went back to school after being a stay-at-home mom and doing the soft release program with my children. I was a substitute teacher. And then I decided I spend all my time in the kitchen. So I went to Madison College Culinary Program and I graduated from there. Uh, right away, I uh, started working as a K-12 chef. And it's been really exciting. I've been working at this position for about six years of being a K-12 chef. I've worked for a contracted company. I've worked for a couple different districts. And now I have landed in Madison Metropolitan School District, where I work as the lead cook or chef at the Central Kitchen. What kinds of changes have you noticed just over those past uh, six years in how school food looks in Madison? Well, you know, it's, it's how school food in general has looked every Every district is in a different state of continuous change. I would have to say that school food is always evolving. They're always striving to do better and more. Um, that That's really exciting. But at the same time, there's a lot of roadblocks that a lot of districts see. Uh, Madison uh, really worked hard at bringing uh, garden bars into the schools. 
And I would say, you know, 10 years ago, garden bars were not heard of in schools. And there's a lot of adults that say, no, kids won't eat vegetables. And kids love the vegetables. And it's not uncommon in multiple districts to see kids making salads, a daily salad every day to go on their plate. And they look forward to that. So that's exciting to me is seeing how kids have embraced the regulations of the subgroups, so what we call them vegetable groups. Um, there's five of them, and they have to eat a little bit from every one of them uh, every week for their best health. But they just enjoy the food that comes out in the, the fresh garden bars. They're so pretty. I remember when they were first going into schools, and they look like rainbows of food. It's just really beautiful. And that that is actually one of the things we teach the kids to eat a rainbow of nutrition that really is the way to get them your best and most phytonutrients that your body and that your brain needs to uh, keep learning and have the best learning success in school. So we try to fuel their their minds so they're ready to learn. Back in May, you talked with my colleague, Scott Gerard, and you mentioned that everybody was sort of creating their job uh, at the time and things were really shifting very quickly. Can you catch us up on what the summer has been like and how things have shifted even since then? You know, everybody in every kitchen that I've talked to, we think that we have finally had enough changes, enough surprises. And uh, no, no, the changes and surprises keep coming at us. Um, we were really hoping for some some things to happen, some government waivers to happen. And we did receive some and one really critical one didn't pass. And that was to allow us to feed all kids for free. So that is has created some um, interesting obstacles for many districts on how to now track students and charge students for meals. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like it would have been a huge asset. Is that sort of along the lines of like a universal school lunch? Yes, it is uh, the Pandemic Child Hung- Hunger Prevention Act. That made it really easy for us because so many families' incomes were shifting so quickly that to expect every family that was overnight incomes changed to fill out those applications and receive their benefits. A lot of people don't realize it. They think it's a supplemental program. It's for the poor, but it really is. I always tell people it's like a coupon and every coupon has fine print at the bottom. And if you qualify for that coupon, take advantage of it. People aren't afraid to use coupons. So really uh, the free and reduced application I think has a lot of um, people don't want to feel like they qualify for something free or reduced, but everybody loves taking their coupons and spending their coupons. So really it's finding out if you qualify for a coupon because it, um, when the kids take a half cup fruit and or vegetable, everybody automatically gets a, it's about a 31 cent coupon that's covered by the government. And the reason why they cover that is because they want you to eat your fruits and vegetables because later on it leads to less health costs to the government. So they're saying, you know, this is proactive health prevention. And then low income and uh, they can have some more benefits because it really becomes a social justice issue with um, equalized food access. And so that that was important to them as well. So they're like, let's put... Let's pay for some of that, too. So some of the kids qualify for a $3 coupon. Some of them qualify for a $2.60 coupon. And some of them like a $0.33 coupon. So it's really, if you say it like that, it's a little bit easier. There's a little paperwork behind it. But 
all online. Food service workers don't know who qualifies for what coupon because it's a huge government secret. That's what I always tell the kids. We <laughs> we don't know. Um, and the kids don't know. And when, when everybody was eating for free, then it was just easy all around because uh, a lot of the families that didn't know if they qualified or not, they just knew I could just come here and hit the easy button. There was too many other stressors going out there. And uh, just knowing that they could just go pick up food and it was free, their kids were going to eat a healthy meal. It was fabulous all summer long. What can you tell us about how school food programs are planning for the fall with so many variables still? Oh, so what is happening here? I, I wrote a big list. So I'll see if I can highlight some of that list for you. So um, really, it's crazy. Uh, at the time of this recording, it's about two weeks. For Madison, they bumped back the start date. A few other districts in the state have done that. A lot of the districts are starting next week. You know, we're still trying to figure out the details of how are we going to fit the kids in the cafeteria? Are we delivering food to the classroom? You know, where are we going to have the virtual learner pickups for food? Where before just the kids came to the cafeteria. So now you have two other serving locations, but in addition to the cafeteria, now you have social distancing and sanitation. So it's, it's nothing is the same as before. So we're trying to figure out all new details. So even though most schools have a general plan, at any time that general plan can completely shift and you're starting over with details. So that that's happened to quite a few schools that thought they were going to be in person. They're now all virtual. So they had to completely shift their delivery plan. The other thing, everyone, there's not a lot of, um, not a lot of programs have excess money. And with all of the social distancing and some other suggested safety guidances with the COVID, we're all changing the flow of our lines or even how many options we're serving because we don't know, you know, how can we serve to our standards that we used to, we can't. And, and, and that's mentally hard for many people is that we have to back up. We're doing a lot of backing up on how and what we're offering to students just to be for staffing concerns, for safety concerns. One director said, this is the first time I've said, I'm more worried about my staff's health and safety, where normally it's always been about the kids, but you can't serve food without a staff. So staff have become the forefront for many directors. The other thing that's happening with virtual learning is that there's a lot of decreased participation. A lot of programs across the state have had way lower uh, participation. Food service is its own financial entity within a school district. It's not included in the school budget, and they are financed by participation. So when participation goes down, there's no food money, there's no staff labor money, and in some districts, that means some of them are laying off staff, which no one wants to lay off staff because tomorrow they might have to be back in school. So we're, there's a lot of districts that are getting creative and reassigning the food service staff temporarily because they value the employees. And some other districts, they just really, they don't have a creative solution. So now school staff that were paid through the pandemic in the spring are now finding that they don't have jobs to come back to in the fall. So that's, that's really stressful for a lot of uh, programs right now. Madison, we're doing all virtual learning. 
Uh, we've been virtual since this started. The school food service industry has been amazing. Uh, there's been a lot of creativity out there. Some of the virtual uh, school districts have been delivering by buses and found a lot of success in delivering by buses. Nice. Yeah. It's that way they, they still use their busing service that they've had to they had contracts with. So they use yeah. the bus driver for the bus routes. And it's so much fun for the kids to run down the driveway and get their food for the day. Other districts are doing five days in a box. So uh, that's what Madison is going to be doing. The details are still coming out. But uh, so it's it's actually uh, five breakfasts, five lunches in a box. So parents only have to come and pick up once a week. It means, though, maybe more of that food has to be like has to last longer. I just I just got back from camping and I had to like think about how long each thing would last in my cooler, you know, and some of those things you can I mean, obviously, it can go right into a refrigerator if you're at home. But still, you have to think about how long things last, right? Yes. So that's that's another complicated layer of what limits your food choices for putting in the box. And we also have to realize that uh, some of our kids are going to be latchkey kids. So we want to make it easy for those kids. We have containers that you can reheat in the oven for our hot foods. And a lot of these foods, you can take the packages and freeze them in the freezer and save them for a longer time. Our fresh fruits and vegetables, again, we were limited on what fruits and vegetables we can offer in the boxes because not all fruits and vegetables last a few days. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. I remember when I first started writing about school food, one of the things that I was really struck by was how it has to adapt not only to maybe cultural difference in like what people are used to eating or expecting from their food, but also kids have allergies. Kids are gluten-free and lactose intolerant like adults are. And kids are kids. They can be picky. And so, you know, just saying. Adults can be picky. Oh, yeah. I mean, I hope my brother-in-law is not listening, but very picky. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I, I'm also curious about like, when you talk about having to kind of scale back a little bit, maybe on the kinds of things you were doing, the variety, um, you also recently got a USDA farm to school grant for MMSD and, you know, deploying that is, is a, I know it's been a priority for the district to get more of those local fruits and veggies into the hands of kids. So I, I just wonder, like, are you trying to basically have some of those complications minimize like when you're making those food plans are there things that you're trying to simplify just because getting the food to the kids is so much more complicated now yes every district is doing that i in speaking with the district at a different part of the state they used to have almost 14 items that they offered their high school students between all the different stations he's like we're down to five and and part of that is as well as there is in the back of everyone's heads, as you've heard, all these food production facilities where they just had an outbreak of COVID and they lost staff. So that's in the back of everybody's mind is 
what happens if that happens in our facility and how not feeding kids is not an option. We have to keep feeding kids. And so what is our pandemic plan? What if it hits our kitchen? How do we keep feeding kids virtually? Even if the kids go home, we still are feeding the kids. If it's in person and it goes home, we still make a plan overnight, just like we did before when the governor shut down all schools. By Monday, we were on the curb with food for families. We didn't stop a moment. That's the plan again. But if you have staff that are sick in Madison, we are fortunate that we have that plan in place, that we have a whole clean down the kitchen. We have a second kitchen set up as an emergency site to start making meals. There won't be any interruption in serving food to the families. But then there's smaller schools that they only have, you know, three food service workers. So what happens to those if all three of them get sick? Who's next in line? And and that's those are some hard questions a lot of people are asking and everybody's hoping nobody gets sick. That that's number 1. That's the challenge, right? You have to plan for people to get sick. This is a very communicable disease and we know that there's all these levels of risk that we engage with when we're around other people. Um, and nothing is perfect except for full isolation. But, you know, it, it's it's interesting to me that you have a whole second kitchen. That's amazing. Well, it's not an ideal kitchen, but it will work for a day while there's deep cleaning being done. Yeah. That's what's the summer plan. How do we do that now that we're changing our complete workflow is changing? I don't I don't know if that plan is still possible. I think we're feeling optimistic because no one has gotten sick in our kitchen because we're all being safe outside of work. We're all prioritizing our job and um, making sacrifices in our personal life so that we are available to work. I mean, that's that's our priority is to keep working. And that's I think I'm hearing that over and over again in many other districts as everybody's taking a lot of precautions. I mean, we have plexiglass is in, you know, it's, it's everywhere. If we can't social distance, there's plexiglass there and there's masks and face shields. And uh, we take temperatures before we even enter the building. All the extra measures we're going through are, is paying off. I feel that, you know, we're protecting each other. I was talking to some restaurants as they were starting to reopen a month or two ago. And the sort of overarching thing that you hear is it's not necessarily about the ability to social distance among the front of house or the, you know, the people who are in the seats, you can space out tables, but how do you space out a little kitchen? You know, yes. these are folks who have to work closely together. And there were some people who were like, well, we're, we're basically considering ourselves a quarantine bubble because like we're, we are working close together. Even if you're masked, you're, you're still working fairly close indoors, but there was one guy I was speaking with and he said, well, no one's going out to the bar afterwards anymore. No one's doing the things socially that they normally would have done. We all just go home now. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. And it, it is joking because we like get so excited when we see someone that's outside of our bubble. It, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to go out and it's been like two months and it's still like we're outside on the street, but Hey, <laughs> Nice to see your face or at least your eyeballs because we're all in mass. I think that's been the, I, I don't know how to say it, but it's really hard to, you. we're like, we run out of conversations 
because it's the same people you see. And uh, work is our social environment. I was the only one going out to work during the spring. Uh, everybody else in my house was at home. And so I was their one, like, as soon as I got home, they're like, and what's new in your world? And I'm like, well, I served food on the curb. (laughs) (laughs) My life, even though I stepped out of the house, has not changed a whole lot. And I think that's really what led me to being goofy. I dressed up in goofy ways and we were doing a lot of fun things and sharing fruit and vegetable jokes. It just was a way to make people laugh and smile and uh, you saw a lot of stressed out parents. And I think going back to school, uh, you're going to see a lot more stressed out parents because a lot of them are working. So they still have 40 hour a week jobs. And then you want me to teach my kids that don't want to learn. And how do you use a computer? And what is this math? That's really what we're seeing. And, and food, even though if you, you're a paying person, it's just an easy button. You don't have to think about what's for lunch, what's for breakfast. And then what's for dinner? Because I hate that question, what's for dinner? And this is their way of saying, here's your box. Today you heat this, tomorrow you do that. Okay, and make that part of your chore list. And this is your responsibility now. And take it off of mom and dad. It's really that nice in some ways. And taking advantage of that might be a good good thing for some families. I think that as somebody who doesn't have kids in the school, I, I would have been surprised to learn that the food was still a resource for folks because you know that like maybe a math teacher can teach for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes over Zoom, but the food is such a physical thing. It's a physical resource. And so kind of finding out how that's still being made available to parents, it's a really cool aspect of how the schools are still trying to connect to virtual learners. I don't even think it's it's connecting. It's I think it's a responsibility. It's a personal responsibility. We see the kids who are feeding and we know the impact. We see kids come in hungry and there are kids that haven't had good food all weekend, come in Monday starving for that breakfast. When you see that, it's no question you keep feeding kids no matter what. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I do know that there's a few schools that it took them a a little while to get a plan in place, but really a majority of the schools, as soon as Tony Evers came up with that, you know, all the schools are shut down. Most of the schools in the state really turned around and were serving on Monday in some form or something. I would say it was absolutely crazy in our kitchen because we were doing it one way. And then all of a sudden the managers came in and said, oh, by the way, we now have to switch this up. And we're like, oh. And we have to have them all in the packages by 11 o'clock because they have to be on the truck and on the corner. So it really was. And everybody's like, who's serving the food? We don't know yet. We'll find volunteers. <laughs> I think that was for a lot of people. And then there was, in the beginning, it there was a lot of fear, a lot, a lot of fear. So there were staff that were terrified to stand out on a corner because they didn't know if they were risking their life and if what they were going to bring home. And that was hard to see. And and honestly, that's how I ended up being on the curb because I'm like, I'll just, you know, I'll go stand on a curb. I'm okay with that. I, I was just thinking there's enough airspace and we had a good plan for keeping distance and social distancing and things like that. So it really, to me, I felt like we were taking all the precautions we could. And a lot of districts were doing a lot of the same thing of setting food on a table and people having, you know, stepping back or using carts, using trays to extend your reach so people could take the food and. A lot of sanitizer. 
so much sanitizer. So it really, it really worked out for the best. It is the scent of 2020, that alcohol smell. Honestly, I was so excited to go back in the kitchen because um, we wash our hands in food service. That's all we do is wash our hands. So it was, I'd rather wash my hands than put sanitizer on my hands. So we do, I mean, you change your gloves, you wash your hands. You move to a different station, you wash your hands. I don't know how many times I wash my hands in a day. I'm at work. I am, I'm well watched. Are you still wearing the funny costumes? No, <laughs> I, I do wear my rainbow chef coat on Fridays. Oh, nice. I actually uh, always did on Fridays, probably starting in October because September I didn't wear them last year. But then I'm like, oh, I need to wear something fun because uh, it was fun shirt on Friday. And I'm like, I don't have any fun chef coats. So I tie dyed a couple chef coats and that's what I do. But no, I don't have I have really simple, basic face masks now. Um, it's just really hot in the kitchen and the face masks I designed aren't meant for hot kitchen. They're meant for outside. So that, that no longer happens, but in my heart, I'm still dressed funny. That's good. I mean, that's what counts, right? Always, always. I always send uh, jokes out to people. I don't know. It's, it's just my husband's a teacher. So I'm hearing it from his perspective of how do I teach kids virtually? And he's stressed out. So I'm I'm working in a stressful environment and coming home to a stressful environment. It's just, I think that is really building up and you need to sometimes just use humor to release it. And we do, we do laugh a lot at work and uh, we try to find things to make us happy. Yeah. So I do want to tell people where to find you, especially on Instagram. And I want you to take just, just, two minutes to talk about the puppies because the puppies are giving me joy right now on your Instagram and they're so, so cute. So, so, um, my life is really simple. I do food, I do family and I do dogs and specifically Chesapeake Bay retrievers. And that's really, my Instagram is all about that. Uh, we are first time dog breeders. We try to do things right. Chesapeake Bay retrievers are an American breed. They're they're brown and curly. They are not a doodle. They're their own breed. <laughs> and actually, we go live all the time on our, our Facebook page because during COVID, we we want our new families, puppy families, to be able to see the puppies because they can't really come visit and they all want to meet them. So we do crawfish chest peaks because we live right on Crawfish River. So that's what we do during our free time. I come home to puppies. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's a lot of work, but it's been a learning experience. We don't, I mean, this is our first litter of puppies. It, they are cute as all get out and uh, we will be keeping one of them. Uh, I, which one that is, it's to be decided. Uh, we do, we raise our dogs to be read therapy dogs. So uh, Josie, the mom dog is a read therapy dog. She goes in to my husband's classroom once a week and uh, the kids read to her at the end of the day. Oh, and then uh, hopefully we'll be doing some other things coming up. And I have a lot of exciting things happening with the School Nutrition Association. I am the vice president of Wisconsin chapter. We've got so many exciting things happening. Again, everything's going virtual. And uh, we're trying to develop a fall conference. And just learned today that the theme is going to be diversity and uh, getting to go out and meet uh, chefs from different cultures and interview them about what they think is diversity 
and uh, how has that affected them as an individual in their personal life and in their professional life. So it's it's kind of exciting, even though we're not doing a whole lot in the school food uh, right now because of our safety plan. I'm not really cooking much like before we were roasting pork butt overnight, beef shoulders overnight. We we're making large batches of, of things in big kettles. But now that space is being used for packaging virtual food boxes and you know food bags that we don't have the space to do it plus there's a limited number of staff that have the skill to cook and again plan what if people get sick in the kitchen we still have to to feed kids so that's really my outlet professionally has been exploring the school nutrition association and really educating school nutrition professionals across the state about a lot of different fun things about food while I'm a little bit slower with cooking and I can't wait to get back to cooking pork shoulder and vegetables and doing the fun things with in the school itself. Yeah. So people can find you on Instagram as well at, at Irene Polish, right? Yes. And thank you so much for making time for this today. Thank you for all of your work and for your energy and your just your love of this. It's really clear. Yes. It, you know, it just, when I, when I was going to school at Madison College Culinary Program, I was working for a fine dining restaurant. And I, just one day I was standing there at my workstation. I'm like, I really miss the kids. And and that was kind of surprising to me. And I'm like, and then I found out K-12 chef is a thing. And it's really cool to walk into a district and have kids say, oh, you're the salad chef. And that that is, you know, like, thank you. Yes, I am the salad chef and here have a tomato. So it's just it that's that's exciting to really connect with kids about food and opening their world up to to different flavors. It, that's the exciting part of it is that we really are making a difference to kids. Yeah. Well, thanks again for doing this. I so appreciate it. You're welcome. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. Patrick Christians composed our music. Natalie Yar edits the show. We're dropping episodes every other week, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you missed it, check out our most recent episode with Tom Dufek of Youngblood Beer Company. And you can check out captimes.com for more food and drink news. This week, we've got a feature on cooking while camping, which I was notably not interviewed for and a new beef and pork delivery box called Artemis Provisions, as well as a story about a bunch of badgers who have a party every year in Santa Rosa, California. They even have a California versus Wisconsin cheese competition. It's pretty great. What? I am Lindsay Christians, lover of walking tacos. And I'm Chris Lay, still scratching at my mosquito bites. Our wish for you this week is tater tots, because why not? Cheers! What's been the corner table? This has, this been, has the been the corner table. table. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.